this morning. <laughs> Understanding our Bible. A couple weeks back, we did two weeks on running through the uh, Old Testament, trying to understand how to read it and make sense of it. Uh, some of us who have grown up in church know some of it, but didn't know a lot of the details. So... The feedback I got was great. It was nice to hear, hey, I just never knew that before. So I hope to do a, a lighter version of that with the New Testament. Um, but basically, I'm going to point you towards your own study and realize there is a lot more to learn. And there is a way to understand the New Testament too. So I hope to cover as much as I can. We're going to do the same thing where we're going to have slides. I'm not going to stay on them too long, but you can go back and watch the video and pause and, and look at or ask me for an email and I'll send you the PowerPoint and I might add in a bunch of other charts that are really cool just for your benefit because there's a lot of great stuff. And I like charts. I like the visuals because uh, it seems to explain a lot of helpful things. So today, the New Testament. Let's dig in. We, we had this quote up last time and it was really powerful. It is Christ himself, not the Bible who is the true Word of God. The Bible, read in the right spirit and with the guidance of good teachers, will bring us to Him, to Christ. We must not use the Bible as a sort of encyclopedia out of which texts can be taken for use as weapons. Hmm. Bible thumper, Bible bashing... I'm more right than you are. And believe me, the stupid wars and, and arguments that happen between people, well, my translation's more right than yours. And, and oh my goodness, the, as soon as you start that conversation, you're already wrong. You're already wrong. You're eating from the wrong tree. And you're not speaking out in love. As soon as you get into all that fighting, because now you're trying to convince somebody else that they're wrong and you're right. It's about being more right. Instead of loving on that person, finding a place where you can actually talk about that stuff without fighting. Those topics need to be talked about. We're not avoiding the topic. We're avoiding the wrong spirit in which a lot of the discussions happen. Example, some people say, I'm a person of the Bible. I trust the Bible. The Bible's the Word of God and I live by the Bible. And, then, and the Bible's holy. Holy Bible. You know, and, and, and it's like this thing. Ooh, you know, oh, don't drop it. Don't drop it. It's a book. It's not the Word of God, as in the Logos, which is Jesus Himself. That's the point of this. The other point is this. With good teachers, it will bring us to Christ, not to the pastor. Not to the Sunday school teacher. Not to one who's trying to build up their own ministry. The Word of God is to bring us to Jesus. So we learn to trust Him. And if it's too confusing, just let him love on you. That's it. Because God is love. That is the point. That's why we meet. And as we grow and dig into other topics, oh my goodness, that's the journey of growing together. There has to be safety in relationships to discuss the things we disagree with. We do need to talk about those things. But it has to be done in the right spirit. Second Timothy. I want to show you something today that I think is very exciting. And yes, I have charts coming, but this blindsided me this morning. Oh, I've got to talk about this, so I'm going to. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this. All Scripture. 
is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, which most people forget. Because usually, usually this verse is used as the club. The Bible says, huh, see, you got to listen. And that's, that's what this verse can be used and has been used for. But I'm showing you, it's true. As in, all scripture is inspired by God. It's for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God, woman of God, may be adequately equipped for every good work. Usually they leave that part out. The purpose of Scripture is to equip you, so you can do good works. Ooh, did I just say the word do and we're in a grace church? Do do. Ooh. <laughs> Seriously, for the first few years, the word do was a swear word as I grew in grace. And I have done Hope Fellowship a disservice. I have. I've downplayed the doing. I've downplayed, you can't tell me what to do, I'm under grace. That attitude, pablum-eating believers. I'm really serious. Because as I grow now and begin to mature more... There's more doing than I ever thought. There's more participating than I ever dreamed of. You are called to grow up. And the scriptures are to point you to Christ who grows you up. Let's read this in another translation. Every part of scriptures God breathed and useful one way or another. Showing us truth. Exposing our rebellion correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way, through the Word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks God has for us. That's a beautiful, easy-to-understand translation. One more, the mere translation. Listen carefully. This one's powerful. Jesus Christ and His work of salvation is the theme of the entire Scripture. Okay? The value of Scripture in its most complete context is always found in God's prophetic voice inspiring a thorough education in the revelation of righteousness. Stop there. The purpose of the Scriptures is to show you you are righteous because of what Christ has done. To expose the lie, I am unrighteous, unholy, therefore I have to try to become more and more holy. So people use the Bible to become more holy. They go, oh, i got to do that, oh, here's the list. I got Now I'm focusing on the list and have my eyes off Jesus. Oh, but the list will make me better. You're already better. You're already good. You can't get better. Start acting like who you are. That's the joy of the scriptures. What about the commands? The commands are there for your benefit. If you obey them, man, the fruits can be amazing in your life. Not that you become a fruit, but you, the fruit in your life. The, the outflow of who Christ is in you. He will live it out. You can trust Him. It's not for people or organizations to dictate how to live. He dictates it, and He does it through His Word. There are instructions, and they're wise. There's reasons they say, don't do this and do that. For your benefit. It's not designed to be a club over your head, you know, make it into a religion. That's what we've done in the past. No. It's about pointing to Jesus and knowing your righteousness. It's beautiful.
Beautiful. Let's keep going. This is what carries the breath of God and gives substance and proof to accurately gauge what is being taught. Being thoroughly schooled in the word of righteousness will equip you to be fully refreshed, I love that, in sparkling newness of life, giving you a fresh start to tackle every relevant and good task with renewed inspiration. And who's the author of these tasks? Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. That's a really wordy, expanded one. I get it, but it's really good. Now let's, um, let's focus on a few words, because this is, you probably never looked at before. All scriptures God breathed, inspired, profitable for teaching. What do these words mean? Really quick. Profitable. If you're running a business and you make no money, it's not profitable. I'm learning. And yes, you will pay for your own ketchup packets and for your extra butter. Because I know how much they'll cost now. All of it. I'm serious. Opening this eatery has been phenomenal. But it's profitable. For my benefit. For our benefit. So the scriptures... For your personal gain. If you look at the Bible and say, I want to find some personal gain here. God, show me some cool stuff. He will. I promise you. For, for one, He's the one who gives you the desire to look for it anyway. So He's totally going to do that. Next, teaching. The Word of God's for teaching. Meaning the foundation. Knowing what you didn't know. That's, you're, you're constantly learning. None of us have it all. Pastors do not have it all. Bible college professors do not have it all. Sunday school teachers do not have, Wait a minute, they have it all, but they just don't know it all. So do you. You have it all, but don't know it all. That's why we keep growing and learning. Reproof is for refuting, rejecting lies. The scriptures will say, wait a minute, the world says this, but God's word says this. It's to eradicate, take out the lies that are causing us a hardship of the belief systems we have. For correction, restoration to an upright or right state. Correction is not, you sin, call them up in front of the church and tell your sin to the whole group. I've been part of those churches. It is nasty. That is not about restoration. That's about humiliation and shame. Bring them in front of the church. What, what are you talking about? That's not done in love. There's no room for that. The scriptures are not used to shame you. They're to prove your righteousness. The reproof is good. This correction part is excellent. An improvement of life or character is another definition for that word. Do you want a better life and character improved? The scriptures help that. It's beautiful. Training. Imagine that. Educating, cultivating, admonitions. Meaning, hey, you should be doing this. You should not be doing this. That's what admonitions are. Very strong wording saying, hey, don't live like that. Because it's not going to look good on you. And the consequences are horrible. Then we have um, um, training. Educating, cultivating, admonitions. Care of the body, mind, and soul. Adequate, this last verse... That, so that man of, woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The word adequate means fitted, perfect, perfection that is already in you to be manifested and displayed in action fully complete. This is good news. This is the word of God. And Christ himself is the living word who will point to you in the scriptures what is good and what is good for you. He might do it through people. He might do it just you and him. It's great. The Bible. 
the New Testament. Last time we looked at uh, copies of the Old Testament, how many have been found. Um, the reason I'm showing this chart is to show you the legitimacy of the historical documents that have been found. Let me give you a comparison. Plato, they found 49 manuscripts. Aristotle, 7 Okay, so that's, ooh, he's, he's, he's really important. Obviously, that must be authentic. Yeah, we can trust those documents. We found seven. Pretty good, eh? I'm sorry. We have 5,600 New Testament texts. There's credibility. You can trust your Bible. Um, and then, of course, how many years between them? From when they were written to when um, uh, they were found. So 50 years max. But here, look at it, 1,400 years. You know, this big, big gap of time. You can trust the accuracy of your scriptures. Next. Short lesson on how to re-understand your Bible. This is really important. First of all, there are two key issues we need to understand to have a meaningful understanding of your Bible. First, who was it written to? This goes for the entire Bible. Old Testament and New. Who was it written to? How many Jews do we have here? Well, in this room, there's a whole bunch of stuff that was never written to you. It's for you, but not to you. Can you learn from it? Of course. Next. When was it written? Context is critical. Next, the Bible is written to three different people groups. When you know this, it helps you say, okay, is this for, was this written for me or not? Otherwise, you're going to go through the Old Testament and go, oh, we've got to start doing these, following these laws and, and these, these rituals. And Hang on. That was not written to you at all. There might be some benefits from it, but don't you make it a rule that everybody has to follow. You're not allowed to do that. The Jews, obviously special instructions. Then we have the Gentiles, also called heathens, which includes us. That's a funny word. Um, then the church, made up of believers in Christ. Jews and Gentiles. We are the church. Okay? That's, those are the three groups it's written to. It is essential to understand when and to whom a book or scripture was written. That's why you cannot say, I believe the Bible plainly says. <laughs> you mean plainly to you. It doesn't say stuff plainly. I think it says some things plainly, but when you start pulling it out, it just plainly says, boom, and you pull a verse out of context. You can't do that. To decide its importance to the church. How important is this for now? Like, do we take an old covenant text and plunk it into the new? Do we mix the Gospels up? No, we don't. We understand its context and what we can learn from it, but you can't make, do that here. Christians and churches don't understand that don't understand this have a tendency to mix everything together, and the Christian life becomes full of confusion and hardship. Well, one part of the Bible says we should do this. Another part says we should do that. Well, there's conflict. Of course there's conflict, because they're not meant for the same people. These are basics. Solution. You need to understand the timeline. This is the greatest part of this, fight, uh, this white slide section. You need to recognize the most important day or weekend in history. This is where we begin. And it starts like this. Cool, eh? <laughs> Beginning of time. <laughs> Woohoo! 2016. I'm going to give you a great history lesson. Year one, Old Testament. New Testament. Plunk in the cross. 
Now you starting to get a picture of where stuff is? Okay. Next, Old Covenant. That's the time span Old Covenant covers, okay? You have to understand covenants. There's the New Covenant is under Christ. And we're going to get to that in a second. Here we go. Oh, there it is. New, new Covenant. By the way, this says still under law, you're saved by works. That saved by works is not true. It's what they believed. That God never intended that. Just so you know. The New Covenant, you're saved by grace. He has done it all to save us. All. You get to believe. And when you do, you will experience salvation. Profoundly. Internally. In this section right here, in your New Testament, begins Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But where are they written? What time space? Which covenant? Old. And when you start to look at the purpose of the law, part of the purpose, one of the purposes of the law, Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law, not, not take it away. And what had happened was, the Jews took the law, added more rules, and made it total self-effort. And Jesus is saying, you pulled it down to almost attainable, I'm bringing it back up to impossible, and then I am going to fulfill it. That's what he did. It was a setup. Then we have the story of Acts in all of Paul's writings, and that's the rest of the New Testament. Then we have something else. Well, that's the pointing that it's Old Covenant. That spot there is critical. Okay? This is a new, new thing that wasn't on my chart before. 70 AD, is that, that's what that is. The destruction of Jerusalem. Have, see, 70 AD into 2016 is really close, but just ignore that. <laughs> Just in case somebody's picky and going to comment. and I see that a lot up here. It's like, oh. And as soon as I see people leaning over, I know I spelled something wrong. <laughs> and I just blame it on copy and paste. Anyway, 70 AD. The destruction of Jerusalem and the complete finished end of the Old Covenant takes place. While this cross is the place where the New Covenant begins, the Old Covenant is now made obsolete and is fading. And it fades away completely as in not able to be reproduced at all at 70 AD. Here's the verse from uh, Hebrews 11. Um, when he said a new covenant, he made the first one obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear or slowly fading away. This is the fade away. So when the New Covenant came, the Old Covenant system was still going on, paralleled until 70, when the destruction of Jerusalem happened. The entire Jewish system was wiped out for the sacrifice system. The lineage of all priests, they cannot resurrect the sacrificial system. It's finished. That covenant is now gone. It's really important to see that. So when you're reading scripture, keep in mind when Jesus is teaching, often he is speaking into the new covenant, but speaking from the old. He's living it out. You know, because right now, if you want to pick apart and do every word Jesus taught, there's a lot of eyeballs in your sockets. And he did say, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. And nobody seems to listen to that one. So... Be careful how you read. There is a very good context. And the more you grow in knowing your identity in Christ and understanding the new covenant and how to read the Bible, it makes more sense faster. It's very, very exciting. Next, 
Remember last time I had that plug and play chart and explained where the books are? Well, this is going to be very similar. If you want to catch the history of the whole New Testament, you're found, it's found in these, in these books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. These are the historical ones so you can find story all the way through. Once you start to get into all these other ones, example, if you ask somebody you know, or tell somebody you should read your Bible, wow. How, what? You got to tell them how. Like last time, the Old Testament, you go through the, the, the timeline books. This is where you put people through. Get, let them catch the timeline. And what you may not know is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John cover the same time span. Okay? So there's four different stories of the same story from a different lens. So you're wondering why it's being repeated? It's because it's being repeated on purpose. Okay, the guy didn't stutter. He had four different people writing. And when you find out the backgrounds of each of these people, you start to realize, oh, they, they bring a unique lens to the story. Some cover one story, other covers another one. A couple times they overlap and they tell the same story. Some, sometimes all four cover the same thing. It's their lens. It's how they saw it. It's beautiful. Then comes along Paul. Paul was a Christian hater. He was raised up to become a very, very good leader in the Jewish sect. God got a hold of him, literally, as in shining light from heaven while he's riding on a horse, blinded, and a voice speaks to him. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? And God spent three years teaching him the most profound, deep truths Stuff that nobody ever had heard before. One-on-one with Jesus. He took time to ponder, to wrestle, to be taught. Instead of, wow, I just talked to Jesus, and start telling everybody. You know, there is some excitement when you hear new revelation. But there's also wisdom in shutting up for a time, letting it sift and seep and become true and sort out some things you're not sure about yet. So anyway, what happens, Paul then begins to travel. I'm going to show you some maps. They're not going to be meaningful to you uh, until you really want to know. Um, But he did four different journeys. And so as he's traveling, he's writing letters to these people, these people, these people. Like just, he's firing off letters that are shared amongst the church leaders. And they get shipped to different churches and so on. So all through the land, Paul is speaking. He is is like the the one who's been called to reach the non-Jews. Peter has been called to reach the Jews. So that's why we have two different guys running around as key leaders in the New Testament, uh, and then, uh, especially in the book of Acts. It's the, those two are the key ones. Um, and then, of course, we have some general letters, and then we have the book of Revelation. Um, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. It's really cool. And don't call it revelations. A lot of, a lot of people say that. It's, it's not the word. It's revelation. Just so you know, and don't embarrass yourself. <clears throat> Timeline of Paul. When did he do his stuff? So you can, he's going to, Jake zooming in on this, and I can send this in PowerPoint, but you can just kind of see when he wrote different books to where and the timeline. So that gives you an idea. See, it's 80, 70s, the destruction of Jerusalem, and blah, blah, blah. Okay, what about the real world? Why are you just talking about the Bible world? What else is going on around the world at the same time? Well, let's take a quick look. 
Roman, Romans conquered England, part of uh, Roman Empire until AD 422. Okay? Cleopatra's last independent Egyptian ruler of the ancient world. That happened right in that part. Not too much earlier than Jesus. Okay? Pretty cool. Um, sumo wrestling in Japan. That's really important. Okay? <laughs> Uh, Jesus' mother was born, and then sumo wrestling happened. So, interesting. Herod the Great remodels the Temple of Jerusalem. Next. Christ is born. Woohoo! Okay, it's pretty exciting. And notice that it's not at zero. They got the time off. It was actually like 3 B.C. He was born before himself? Yeah, but anyway, just, just figure it out. Europeans first used saddles. Another fantastic truth. Okay? Judean zealots oppose Rome. This, now, this is really important. Because when this is going on, you start to see the rumbling with the Jews and why the Romans have to send legions down to the Jewish area and have more protection. And, oh my goodness, Herod had his hands full. Okay? All this is going on, and you didn't even know it. John the Baptist, isn't that wonderful? Jesus begins his ministry. Pilate is now appointed governor. This part is cool. London is founded. City of London, England, founded in 43. Isn't that incredible? Like, this is all happening during the time of Christ. Well, at least in the Bible story, sorry, New Testament times. Um, anyway, Emperor Claudius is poisoned, blah, 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 70 AD. Um, all this stuff's happening. Anyway, I'm showing you that the real world is happening at the same time. And some churches and believers think, oh, the Bible is the perfect history book. It is not. It's limited. It's not the complete story. It's not a science book. It has science in it, but it's not the science book. It is a story to reveal who? Thank you. And you will benefit from it. So be careful how you use it. Um, we saw this last time. This is a picture of the prophecies from the Old Testament and how they became true in the New. These are the ones that were written over a huge span of time to say Jesus is coming. Now, if I prophesy next week, I'm op opening the food court um, on Thursday and uh, I'm going to have five, five volunteers, it's probably going to happen because you know, it's... It's within my sight. But if I say, I know who's going to win the Super Bowl next year, and the season hasn't even started, ooh, you can listen, you know? And if I say in 10 years, I know who's going to win the Super Bowl, you're going to go, Pfft, you know, all that stuff. Well, here, they're prophesying about Jesus thousands of years before, hundreds of years before. It's all put together and became real. This is one of the best proofs you can trust the Bible and that Jesus is who he says he is. It's beautiful. And you'll see through the New Testament. And Jesus said this, which fulfilled the prophecy. You'll see that over and over and over again. Because there were prophecies. Alright? It's good news. I'm just giving you some credibility stuff. Um, I want you to follow this really carefully. This is, this is for your email purposes only. But this is the journey of Passion Week, of the walk Jesus did, and where he went all the way through, so you can kind of see where he moved around. If you have this map, and now read, guess what's going to happen? The story's going to become more alive to you. You're going to start to understand, oh, he's over here now, he's near the temple. No wonder he's getting in trouble there. It's really, really cool. The Word of God is alive because Jesus is the Word of God. 
the written word becomes alive because of Jesus. So this is just a cool, cool picture. Uh, four Gospels. Uh, this is just a cool stat, a cool chart, because it's fun. Um, but who, example, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who were they written to? Matthew was written primarily to Jews, so the lens will be for Jews. They'll understand more of it. The Romans, Mark is writing to, the Greeks, and to the church. Distinct, different styles. Like, it's fantastic when you read them through and compare. So anyway, that's a, that's a fun chart. Ooh. Um, law and grace. <laughs> What is the function of law? Based on works, grace is based on faith. Uh, the effect of law, work puts, uh, works puts us under a curse. Grace justifies us by faith. That's another fun chart. You and I are under grace. Don't put law on people. I like what Paul Anderson Walsh says. You shouldn't should on anybody. You know? Be careful when he says, well, you should be doing this. You should be doing that. Well, as soon as you get that, now you've exited love and are tracking a legalism. The only way you get to say you should is if the love is already in place and there's a healthy conversation, say you shouldn't be doing this. It's done from love. Two different ways to say the same thing. One has to be love. There are things you should be doing. Absolutely. Don't think there isn't. But it's not my job to dictate it to you. It's your job to listen to the Holy Spirit. And if you really are hungry, and you're really trying to understand something, go seek help. Talk to somebody you trust that knows the Word of God. Say, okay, what's your advice on this? Well, you should be doing that. Okay, cool, because I trust that to be the Spirit of God. Do you hear the difference? Okay. I don't know. It's a chart. Figure it out. Sorry. <laughs> Two covenants compared. So that's a great snapshot. Jake, get this one on there. Uh, but just to compare the old and new covenant and the benefits of it. This is the map of the time of Christ and Bible lands in today. Say, so this is, this is Israel now. That's where Lebanon is, Iraq. But right in here, this whole area is where Paul did his missionary journeys up through here. Okay. And I think you went more of a straight line, but I'll show you that in a minute. And then, uh, yeah, see, this is, his, this is all of his journeys together in one snapshot. And then I have taken the four, sorry, the four journeys and showed it to you. I know this is really important. So here he's doing his first trip, so his letters make sense where he's going. All right? He's spreading the good news of the gospel. His second journey, uh, this, the whole story of him getting shipwrecked will now make sense when you see where he is going and when. Uh, he got shipwrecked? Yeah, there's some juicy stories there. Snake bite, you know, almost dying venom. Great stuff. Third journey, and then of course his fourth one was to his final. He goes to Rome, where he is killed. He was the man God used to get the gospel to the world. The known world. And it succeeded. He got it out. Your Bible is exciting. There's a lot to learn. There are misunderstandings. That's fine. But study. Listen to the voice of God in you saying, Hey, uh, I do want to know this now. I want to understand this better. There's so much there. And I'm trying to do it from up front every Sunday. That's why I keep doing different types of topics. I want to show you what does the scripture say about this theme. You know, which is, that's really the study of theology. The study of God. 
So I'm trying to do it in a practical way every Sunday. I hope you're benefiting from this. I hope this is exciting. And I hope this will inspire you to dive back into your Bible and read it with purpose instead of a duty. i got to read my Bible. That's not it. Then if that's your attitude, stop reading the Bible. But you're a pastor. How can you say that? I'll tell you why I say that. Because when people have the attitude, I have to, there's a begrudging not wanting to. And that's a duty, legalistic mindset. When instead, when you actually stop for a time, the Holy Spirit will create the hunger and draw you to want to read. Okay, now I want to read. That's, that is Jesus in you doing it for you. That's exactly how we're to live. Day to day, moment by moment. Good news? Good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray you inspire everybody here in this room to be excited about learning more about your love for them and drawing them to the scriptures and pointing out to them why it's true and how it's true. Create that hunger and then turn it into action, the work of love, of doing, of being love to people in practical ways. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.